Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio. I'm a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Lone War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that covers all things of what used to be known as the global war on terror and what we now call the Lone War. Today, I have uh, two guests, uh, two friends of mine, uh, Jonathan Shanzer. He's a senior vice president for research at Foundation for Defense of Democracies. And also Sinan Sidi, he's a senior fellow also at FDD, an associate professor of national security studies at the Marine Corps University and an expert on Turkish domestic politics, as well as uh, Turkish foreign policy. Uh, John, Sinan, welcome to Generation Jihad. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Bill. Hey, thanks, Bill. Oh, no, it's it's my pleasure. And um, today, of course, uh, with uh, Sinan and John, we are going to talk Turkey. Um, Turkey has uh, played an interesting role in the war on terror, as well as uh, U.S. relations in the Middle East and with Europe, and also um, some interesting happenings with the with the events in Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, we're focused. We're going to focus mostly on the Middle East and terrorism today. Actually, exclusively on that today. Uh, but there has been a continuing, I would say, deterioration of relations between the United States and Turkey. Um, it's occurred on multiple levels. Uh, I would argue that it began during uh, at the at the onset of Gulf War, the Second Gulf War, when Turkey refused the access to allow U.S. troops to invade northern Iraq from Turkish soil. It's it's been all downhill from there, but particularly um, since uh, President Erdogan um, was elected, I think things have really the the relations have have slid from there. But Sina, let's let's talk a little bit about the history there. Where where do you perceive things to really have slipped in the relations between the U.S. and Turkey? Yeah, that's a good question, Bill. I think I think the, the the history that you draw does make sense. I think the 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 onset of of the 2003 invasion of Iraq really did sort of see a diversion of interest between Turkey and the United States. In hindsight, it was probably a good idea that the Turks refused or just or just said no to U.S. troops because that would have likely resulted in Turkish troops piling into to northern Iraq and getting into a severe conflict with with our Kurdish partners, which would have been even bloodier. And, and we sort of kind of dodged that bullet. But I think that really did sort of put a fly in the ointment and sort of um, bitter sort of an, a, a, a increased animosities between the two states. I remember uh, General McChrystal writing a horrific sort of biography uh, and the Joint Chiefs were not very happy with Turkey at the time. But really, in, in, in recent memory, I think the, the, the wheels in the relationship really did come off um, with with the Syrian civil war, and that's really sort of um, seen a divergence of of of, of policy choices and, and preferences by the Turks, um, mainly because we have relied and, and and justifiably relied on on the Syrian Democratic Forces, the Kurds, to to undermine and eradicate the remnants uh, and the body of the Islamic State, whereas the Turks prioritize the toppling of um, President Assad, and really did sort of um, engage with what I would call or what many have called sort of radical jihadist entities in Syria to undermine Assad's regime. But what we should remember here is I think the biggest problem is um, the Turks in their relationship to topple Assad have worked with entities like Jabhat al-Nusra, any sort of al-Qaeda remnants or affiliates in, in the area to pursue this sort of what I call very unstrategic goal 
with no end and no purpose in sight other than to topple Assad. And this has resulted in the Turkish homeland becoming a sort of highway for sort of radical extremists um, transiting Turkey. Uh, there have been numerous uh, reports over the years that suggested and sort of likely indicated that the Turks were providing assistance to uh, to jihadi elements in the form of weapons transfers, logistical support, medical support. Um, this has abated slightly under U.S. pressure, uh, mainly with the opening of Angelic Air Base to coalition aircraft to bomb ISIS targets. But today, Turkey still there are you know numerous entities inside of Turkey and persons. Uh, that have operate that operate continue to 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 sort of uh, provide this sort of support. Recently, uh, the U.S. government under the Biden administration has started to increase pressure on Turkey to sort of stop bankrolling uh, 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 things like Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, right? Uh, but also disrupt Islamic State financial networks. And the Turks have kind of reciprocated in designating entities uh, uh, and sanctioning them. Uh, but what I would call these basic scraps, right? Um, a few individuals here and there, a few companies here and there have been sort of slapped with U.S. sanctions. Whilst this has been welcomed by Washington, and it should, I think this is not even the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more that could be done to sanction and really disrupt uh, terrorist uh, financial flows if, if the Turks chose to do so. And the only reason why the Turks have done this, um, as far as I can tell, um, is President Erdogan is up against an election. The Turkish economy is in the doldrums. Um, subsequent to the election, uh, Turkey is going to need a lot of uh, material and economic support not, you know, from the West. Uh, and I think Erdogan's sort of uh, facetiously trying to buy some sort of you know, credit in, 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 in the event that he wins. Um, I don't think that Washington is sort of buying it to, this, to the full extent, but you know, they seem to take whatever they can get and humor Erdogan until uh, the elections pass. We'll see. Yeah, that you know, I get a, a very distinct uh, Pakistan vibe from all of this, where the Pakistanis cooperated with the United States, where it was willing to against groups like Al Qaeda and, and the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan and other terrorist groups, but didn't budge when when its interests really aligned. But you know, I think there's a there's another issue here, uh, and I suspect you and I um, disagree on this one, uh, probably maybe not suspect isn't the right word. And that's the U S support, uh, the creation of the Syrian de democratic forces. I, I think this really, the, the support of this, because you know, my opinion or my, my analysis of this, and look, I've seen these groups, they're wearing the, the patch of the, the PKK or the Kurdistan workers party. It's the Syrian branch of the PKK. And I, I think this issue really helped drive a wedge between the United States. And, you know, it all again, it all stemmed from the Syrian civil war. You know, we can discuss whether it was a good idea. But my position was, if you're going to support, use the Kurdistan Workers Party from the U.S. perspective to fight the Islamic State and understanding there's no good allies in northern Syria to work with, they should at least been taken off the designation list. But uh, you know, just curious of your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, and this is the main problem that the Turks have really under underscored with 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 multiple U.S. administrations, from Obama to to Trump to to now Biden, by our insistence on relying on the SDF, and that's true. I mean, the, the SDF has made no pretense of its sort of or, or organizational links to Turkey's PKK. Uh, with with one big difference, I would I, I would put there the SDF or the Syrian Kurds or the the PYD under the leadership of Salih Muslim 
has never made uh, any threats against Turkey. I think they've been preoccupied with two major problems uh, and as goals. One is not to be slaughtered and killed by the Assad regime, and also to defend their turf against roving hordes of ISIS fighters. I listened to um, General Votel yesterday, who was in charge of establishing and steering this relationship, and he was very adamant that without the SDF, we would be nowhere in terms of undermining the, um, the, the, the Islamic State forces. I'm also on the record for suggesting that Turkey's sort of animosity towards the SDF and the Syrian Kurdish sort of fighters is not really a strategic or a security problem as they sort of bang on about for the last five, six, whatever number of years now. But I think this is largely manufactured. And I say that because in addition to the Syrian Kurds not overtly or indirectly threatening Turkey in any shape or form, uh, they've actually said, look, you know, uh, We've had negotiations before. You invited Saleh Muslim to Ankara, rolled out the red carpet for him. His son has died fighting ISIS. Um, you know, what, what are your concerns? And we'll address them, right? The Turks have never been interested. Erdogan's always used the Syrian Kurdish issue to sort of grease his base voters of a, of a sort of threat that there's going to be hordes of Kurdish invaders coming across from Syria and terrorizing Turkey, which is simply not true. But I think, what to your point, I think if the U.S. was really going to sort of um, seamlessly execute the fight against the Islamic State by relying on the SDF, they should have, as you said, taken the SDF off off the designation list. Um, but well, I think PKK that would have caused its own problems. Yeah, it would have it would have caused all sorts of other problems. And um, yeah, with Tur- uh, that would have increased problems with Turkey too. I, I really think that the U.S. jumped in to work with the SDF without working to. That's true. The Turks on board here. And and this is, you know, again, I get it. Um, there, there, there needed to be some type of, and I don't know how this can be done. And, and you're correct. And in the, that, you know, the, the maybe Erdogan was never going to uh, accept them as, as a partner in the fight against ISIS because of political reasons. But we, we do have to admit that we have to recognize that this is a reason for you know the deteriorate the bigger on the bigger scale the deteriorating relations between the U.S. and Turkey. Uh, let me just add a very small point and then, and then be quiet for a second. Um, I think it's also a recognition that there were no good scenarios of how to basically tackle the ISIS sort of threat. Sometimes there just is no good answer, um, and and no administration had any appetite to deploy several hundred thousand U.S. troops into Syria with no goal in sight based on our experiences in, in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. So anyway. Yeah, no, listen, I always describe Syria as the Game of Thrones with no Starks. You know, it's it's just they're who are we going to partner with there? There was just no good allies. I get why they did what they did with the SDF. But and John, I, I'd like to your opinion on this partnering with a group that's on a, a you know, the U.S. foreign terrorist organization list. And yes, I know people make distinctions between the Syrian PKK and the Turkish PKK. Um, but you know, I, I just find that to be given what we do in this business, you know, I think our word means something. I think that designate it, it devalues the designate the, the list of, of specially designated global terrorists and foreign terrorist organizations. So I'm curious what you think about that, John. Yeah, look, I don't think the U S did itself any favors in, in aligning with an organization that is clearly part of that PKK, uh, structure. Um, but I do think it's it's worth just um, framing this just maybe a tad differently, because there is kind of a chicken and egg question that I think we need to deal with here, right? 
I think starting 2011, which was the beginning of the Arab Spring, it was you know really before um, the uh, the the crack up of Syria, uh, before the um, the general um, kind of chaos that we saw uh, as the result of the ISIS problem. Um, Turkey had already decided to pivot in a decidedly anti-U.S., anti-West, pro-terror direction. Um, and what I mean by that is it had already become a hub for the Palestinian terrorist group Hamas, for example. Um, it was already helping Iran evade sanctions, um, right? This is beginning in 2012 through 2015, while this problem is is sort of evolving. Uh, you've got the Iranians helping to move $20 billion in cash and gold on behalf of the Islamic Republic of Iran at the height of the effort to um uh to impose sanctions on the regime for its nuclear mendacity uh you've got a decision on the part of the Erdogan government to open its borders almost without even a check that would allow uh, a range of bad actors including ISIS i think primarily ISIS for that matter to flood into Syria so they could bring down the Assad regime and i remember actually talking to a senior um, U.S. official, I'll leave uh, their name out of this right now, but, um, you know, uh, the the person was in Washington and I asked uh, just bluntly, you know, hey, you were just in Turkey, you were dealing with Turkish authorities, what is your sense of their strategy? And the response was, was that the Turks had decided that they are going to use ISIS in order to bring down the Assad regime and then they could roll back ISIS whenever it was convenient for them, as if that's even possible, right? So what we can see kind of writ large is that this government under Recep Tayyip Erdogan, I, I'm loath to say the Turks writ large, because I do believe that most of these decisions rest on the shoulders of one man. But this one man has decided to play with fire in multiple arenas, and yeah, sure, the guy has every right to be upset about our partner, but this is a partner that we enlisted because of a problem that he helped create in Syria, right? So how angry can he be that he helped foment and and exacerbate the ISIS problem? Then we decide we don't want to get in there and get our hands dirty because the American public is sick of a bunch of, you know, jihad wars, right? We have fatigue from all of that. So we find a partner that's willing to do it on our behalf, that we get to stay at arm's length from all of that. And then he's angry that we're working with them after he created the problem, right? You, this is the sort of logic that we are constantly wrestling with, or lack of logic that we constantly wrestle with in the Middle East. And so I, you know, I, and I have to say, by the way, and that doesn't even include, right? Th these are just a couple of examples. You know, Erdogan has, he's acquired the S 400 from Russia, further sticking a finger in the eye of the United States. That's a big no-no. Um, there have been human rights violations out the wazoo, a backsliding of, of democracy and freedom and, and human rights inside of Turkey. Um, the, the sheer number of bad actors that this guy has worked with over the years, he's just, you know, he's a little, he's in a glass house here. He's angry at us about the SDF. Okay, well, maybe look in the mirror a little bit about the kinds of actors that he's been working with. And I think you just need to you need to step back and look at that horizon. And it's been a disaster. Yeah, no, I could not agree with you more. I think that's very well said, John. It, it's 
Yeah, my my concern is is getting be- in bed with a foreign terrorist organization to fight another foreign terrorist organization. I think I, I you know, regardless of what he's done, I still think we have principles and and the law to uphold. Um, yeah. that, that's but, just you know, really getting, but getting back to, you know, you said Pakistan. I mean, think about it. You know, we enlisted the Mooj to fight the Soviets, you know, in, in the 80s. Right. Working with a terrorist organization to go. Well, they weren't designated. They weren't listed as a foreign terrorist organization. Uh, you know, OK, that's that's splitting hairs. But at the end of the day, we're dealing with a bunch of very bad guys back then. Dealing with bad actors and dealing with a someone who's on that foreign terrorist organization list is I to me, that's that's a red line in my book. Right. What what to me, what good is having that registry, having that list? If we're not going to adhere to it ourselves, that's that's really. I might I also get. add with the, with the notion of the PKK, and, and and I have no problem of of classifying it as a terrorist organization, and and um and it's done some horrendous things in Turkey. But I would just highlight, until two thousand seven, the Turks essentially uh you know tried to shut down and 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 really uh, deny any possibility of establishing a fruitful relationship uh, with the KRG in northern Iraq. Uh, simply because they've historically just been ambivalent towards uh, the Barzani's and the Talibani entities saying that they're material supporters of the PKK and that the PKK has bases in Northern Iraq, which it did. But somehow and suddenly after a, you know, uh, a round of negotiations, the Turkish government under Erdogan, I might add, found a way to accommodate and reach a compromise and you know establish a meaningful, and I might say a very fruitful relationship with the KRG. Um, my point being that if it was serious about having security concerns about, you know, the Syrian Kurds, they could have essentially squared those probably with with Saleh Muslim, right? And really probably got it to 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 sort of lay down its sail. But it chose not to do that. Um and 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 and, and that's that's my bottom line on it. Um simply because They've rather used that as material, saying the United States is working with terrorists, i.e. the SDF, to, to, to solve a terrorism problem. That's good material inside of Turkey for his voters, but I don't think he seriously advocates or believes that the SDF is a representative of a serious terrorist threat against Turkey. I just, I've never believed that, and the actions of the SDF have shown that. Um, so, yeah, but I agree with John. I mean, um, you know, everything that they've done, uh, uh, you know, Turkey's foreign minister, Ahmed Davutol at the time, and Turkey's national intelligence chief, you know, they released a, you know, a leaked document and, and, and recording suggesting that um, if it, you know, if 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 what it took to get um United States involved in, in a bloody campaign to un- and topple the Assad regime was going to be a bunch of missiles, right, launched into Turkey, right, that they could manufacture. Um, then so be it. They would be willing to do this because they wanted the United to pull the United States into a hot war to topple the Assad regime. And they were told, and, uh, and and Hakan Fidan, the Turkish intelligence chief, are on record for saying this. Um, and you know, we never push back against that. It's like saying, how you know, you really are playing with fire here. You know, I listen. I have no illusions about Erdogan's, you know what he's doing i just my concern is on our end the the perceptions on our end how serious we take these you know again we should have pulled the pkk off the list if we wanted to work with them to to fight with isis that's just i'll just leave it at that let's let's we have an upcoming election it's it's very soon um we're recording this will probably be released several days uh, uh before the election um he's sliding in the polls um 
talk to us, uh, Sina, about what is happening here. What, why is Erdogan sliding in the polls? I also read, uh, and I think this is you wrote about this that he wants to, uh, assuming he's going to win, and I, I'm going to assume he's going to fix the election to get what he wants that he wants to reset relations with the United States post-election. Talk a little bit about this, about the um, about his vulnerabilities inside of Turkey right now. Well, he's at his most vulnerable politically. Uh, we've never seen him against the uh, the royals this much in, in, in his 21 years of governing the country. All right. Um, right. So he is sliding the polls. Um, it, it does look like the opposition candidate, Kemal Kalishul, has a narrow lead um, over him that can, some have described as being within the margin of error. Some not. Some say he's, you know, the opposition leader has much more of a potential to topple um, him in the, in the election. Um, at this point, I think this is like a soccer match. It, you know who you know nobody knows right um we'll have to wait until until sunday because there's just no verifiable data that will let, let us come down one side or another the potential to to uh, to undermine the election by sort of chicanery and undemocratic means to stay in power is a real threat it it maintains it maintains that you know that that sort of danger is there uh but we'll just have to see but you know Erdogan is, is does appear to be sort of uh, setting himself up to remain in power. And he has made some moves to essentially um, sort of buy some sort of goodwill or what I've called a possible attempted reset with, with the West. What does that mean? Well, it's part of his larger sort of attempt to sort of break out of his diplomatic and regional and global uh, sort of isolation, right? Um, Erdogan has broken basically every meaningful relationship that Turkey has ever had as a state, starting, I would argue, with, you know, the European Union back in the early 2000s, but then swiftly moving on to Israel by basically just torpedoing that relationship, just ripping it apart at the seams. Um, but also with the Arab world around it, too. I mean, Turkey's sort of uh, broken its relationship with countries like Egypt, um, not to mention sort of the UAE, uh, but also just Every sort of regional power that's of consequence and that is of interest uh, to, to 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 Turkey, the United States, and the Western Hemisphere in general, and since in, throughout 22, 2022, he's made like massive U-turns and tried to reestablish sort of you know reset ties with these countries. You know, the diplomatic uh, ambassadorial level relationship has been restored with Israel. Um, he stopped calling Sisi a dictator and wants to shake his hand. He's tried to sort of you know bring the Saudis on board, um, but. It's been sort of very conspicuous in the sense that whilst these regional overtures have been made, nothing towards the West as 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 was sort of in the offing, and he now realizes that uh, if if you know following the election, regardless of who wins, J.P. Morgan has predicted that the Turkish lira will slide against the dollar by an anticipated fifty percent. The country's foreign reserves are basically in the central bank in the negative, right? Um, they have, and, and you have this huge public account deficit. So he's going to need some money. The Turkish state is going to need a huge injection of cash. And the only meaningful source of that is Western creditor institutions, probably the IMF at this point. Um, somewhere to the tune of, I've been told, 150, 200, even $250 billion of a standby agreement might be necessary for Turkey to be just bailed out and stabilized economically, right? He's not going to get that by basically continuing to insult the United States, maintain the S-400s, antagonize you know, Western our partners and allies in the Mediterranean, Greece and Cyprus, threaten to go to war and target U.S. troops and in Syria, right? 
he's going to have to lower his sales one way or another. And some of these sort of, you know, sanctioning of radical entities in Turkey has been an outreach of that. There has been some rumor suggesting that he may finally proceed with divesting Turkey of the S-400s by selling them to India. Who knows? Um, I'll, say, I'll, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, but, you know, uh, he wants some. He wants to turn some sort of page with the, with the U.S. Will that happen? I don't know. I don't think he's sincere. Um, he can turn on a dime. But I think he wants to put the sort of the feelers out there saying, um, at the very least, let's establish a baseline of cordiality. Um, and, and, and if I make some moves on your long shop of shopping list of grievances, what am I going to get in return? Right. All right. I'm Bill Raggio. This is Generation Jihad. And today we're joined by Jonathan Sanzer. He is a senior. He's a senior vice president for research and at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and Sinan City. He's a senior fellow at FDD as well as as well as associate professor of national security studies at Marine Corps Uni- University. Um, and we're talking about Turkey. John, Sinan uh, mentioned that, uh, you know, he, I, I think he aptly put it, he torpedoed that Erdogan torpedoed the relationship between um, all of the regional allies, as well as the United States. But what, what is his motivation for this? What was his motivation for, for turning on Israel? That relationship was solid for decades and, and Egypt and Saudi Arabia. It, it, it seemed very strange at the time. I have my own theories, but I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it makes actually very little sense in, in when you begin to assess that uh, the Turks enjoy actually a very fruitful economic relationship with 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 Israel. Uh, there's a huge number of services and products that that are exchanged. And then on top of that, there's the countless number of Israelis that uh, traverse the Istanbul International Airport, which is a Middle East hub. Um, and, and then actually also thinking back to the 1990s, when there was really close coordination between the Turkish army and the Israeli army, and that it benefited everyone um, you know, the Israelis were buying Turkish water back when they weren't desalinating their own. There's just it was a really warm and, and fruitful relationship. Then you have Erdogan come in. He's Islamist, you know, and, and there was a time where people talked about him as a possible moderate because he wore a suit as if that means anything. Um, but hey, he's an Islamist with a suit. So therefore, he must be better um, than, you know, the mullahs of Iran or, or what have you. Um, this is that but, desire for moderates, John. That, oh, you know, yeah. Where you talk yourself into, yeah. right? You, you start Moderate Islamists. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, at any rate, uh, you know, we, we begin to see a steady backslide uh, on the part of Turkey after Erdogan came in. Um, and I'd say that for the first, I don't know, seven, eight years, Sinan, you probably agree, it was um, by small measure, you know, a degree here, a degree there of uh, of deterioration. In my view, it um, it really all began to unravel 2010, 2011, right? 2010 was the, if you re- recall, that was the flotilla incident uh, where the Turks, you know, fully embrace Hamas and try to break Israel's uh, naval blockade uh, of the Gaza Strip. Then you have the outbreak of the Arab Spring, as uh, as it's called, um, where the Muslim Brotherhood is surging in 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 Middle East states all around the region, and uh, everyone goes all in. It's basically Turkey and Qatar that become the greatest champions of Muslim Brotherhood movements that uh, seek to gain power around the region, and so you see 
uh, Turkish activity in places like Egypt, but also in places like Libya, um, certainly in in Syria. Um, It was a strategy, by the way, blessed to a certain extent by the Obama administration, um, to do um, more outreach, to have more influence with potential Islamist governments. And it was something that alienated the Israelis. It alienated the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Egyptians. I mean, there are actually very few governments right now that are left in the Middle East that don't have a sour taste in their mouth from uh, the Turkish and Qatari intervention during this time. And then again, you got to remember that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're backers of ISIS. Uh, they're supporters of the Islamic Republic and helping them evade sanctions. Uh, the Hamas support, right? It's just the last decade or so has just we've watched the wheels come off the bus of uh, of of Turkish security policies in the region, diplomatic policies in the region, and it has alienated all the. And by the way, we know that the Saudis, the Emiratis, and others these are not perfect governments, but they are let's just say more pragmatic. Um, they they attempt to work within the confines of of U.S. direction and U.S. policy. The Turks just were not even in the same ballpark. Um, they really went way off the path. And, um, you know, I think there's a question now whether that's it's even possible. And this is something that I know that that Sinan has, has looked at um, in, in some depth. It's a question of whether Turkey can even be steered back to within the sort of, you know, the 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 guardrails of what was once considered a somewhat pro-America policy. Yeah, you read my mind. You asked the question that I wanted to see it on. On that last point, is this recoverable? Do you think this is recoverable? Um, just before I touch on that, I'll just echo something, highlight something that um, that John and, and yourself touch on. I mean, one on the, fun, the fundamental underlying reason that people have never gotten about Erdogan, and there were a lot of sort of cute Democrats, as in not American, just, you know, advocates of democracy and democratization, right, that always sort of portrayed Erdogan as this sort of fuzzy, cuddly reformer back in the early 2000s. And if you sort of took any position against that, then you were sort of labeled as a as a fascist, essentially, the Turkish or Islamophobe. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and and I say that. And but my main sort of counterpoint and that, because people have been asking since he tore apart the relationship with Israel in particularly, right, saying what changed with Erdogan? And I'm like, well, that essentially is your problem for asking that question. Nothing's changed. The guy was socialized in Turkey's most broad sweeping political Islamist movements, right? I mean, if you look at his sort of indoctrination and and, and just rearing and raising as a, as, a, as a political entity, I mean, he really was raised in Turkey's worst anti-systemic movement. Grievances against the West with Turkey's relationship with NATO, the, the secular state, um, its Western aspirations, its European aspirations. The guy is on record historically. You can, you can watch multiple YouTube videos of him in the 1980s and 1990s declaring what he really is. So when, you know, when people look at the sort of relationship that Turkey had with Israel that was both economic, but it was also military, intelligence, diplomatic. I mean, Turkey sourced all of its tank upgrades from Israel in the early 2000s, all of its F-16 upgrades uh, to, the, to, to a huge extent possible intelligence sharing, joint training between the two militaries, the, the, the relationship between Turkey and Israel, it wasn't just economic, it was so multifaceted and so lucrative, uh, but also uh, beyond just material aspects, they had broadly saw eye to eye 
on regional security issues, which made it a very powerful relationship above and beyond economics in some sense, a relationship that Turkey never was able to establish with the United States, right? We don't have an economic component. We don't have a people-to-people component. And the reason why he destroyed that is because he's anti-Semitic. I mean, that's the bottom line. This is Erdogan through and through. He hates Israel, and he is a through and through hater of the you know the Jewish uh, people. And so nothing changed. This was Erdogan at his core, right? And that can I just it, it, can I just say actually just to interrupt, Sinan? You know what's interesting is I think you're right. I think there are deep anti-Semitic. Uh, sort of elements to Erdogan's worldview, and that I think that drives certainly his support for Hamas and that Islamist sort of flavor that we get from him. Um, but what's so interesting is that in recent months, we've seen on the part of Turkey an effort to engage in some sort of rapprochement with with the Israelis. And w- what's so interesting about that, I think that also smacks of anti-Semitism. Um, in other words, his attempts to get back into the good graces of Israel, he believes in his heart of hearts that this is the way to get back into the good graces of the United States. And so that idea of kind of Jewish power, outreach to Jewish Americans that might advocate for him, right? That is like, you know, kind of the essence, right? That that he believes that somehow Jews control power in Washington, and therefore he needs to appeal to them in order to get back into the good graces of Washington. And there is something deeply wrong and disturbing about that worldview. Um, and I, I, I think it just needs to be said that, you know, nothing has changed about this guy, even as he has tried to, let's say, steer things back to better ties with Israel and better ties with the United States. The way that he's done it the the mindset that he's had, I think, should really raise some red flags. Yeah, it's completely disingenuous. Um, and you're right. I mean, they've had, they've been on a sort of a walkabout in, in, in throughout Washington in the last twelve months. You know, various government operatives of Turkey basically going around. You know, um, organizations, the government, think tanks, just to sort of see if they can really sort of entice the Jewish American sort of network to sort of back Turkey in Congress, so that Congress can remove its objections. Uh, to 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 um, issue waivers so that Turkey can buy new military equipment from the United States. I just I just that disingenuous approach shows. Well, it also shows that you know they have no idea how things work here, um, and 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 that's sad. Um, but you know, the Israelis are, and any other power that Turkey sort of um, annoyed or like burned in the last ten years, they're they're happy to sort of have a Turkey that they can talk with as opposed to sort of exchange and hurl insults with. Um, but let's let's be honest. I mean, the Israelis are not idiots. They're not fools. They see right through Erdogan. It's a very sort of cautious sort of relationship they're maintaining. But to your question, Bill, um, is this recoverable? Yeah, that's and it's a really hard question. So there are some optimists who believe that if Erdogan departs on site, you know, in next week from power and Kalisharol takes power, the optimists believe that it's you know a couple of years that they can basically circle the wagons. Economic development can get back on track, reinstitutionization of the country, governance by rule of law, um, empowering the bureaucracy as opposed to one man decision making can basically make things go away. I'd love for that to be the case, but then I also want a unicorn, um, you know, and that's not how the world works. I mean, look, Erdogan's vitriol and sort of hyper nationalist, hyper Islamist, authoritarian narrative is so deeply entrenched in the minds of a lot of Turks in the sense that an entire generation has been born and grown up who is 21 years old or thereabouts, 
who've only been subjected to Erdogan's vitriol, right? And their worldview and the way they look at the world has been sort of like pumped full of pro-Erdogan media, pro-Erdogan public discourse that has really just poisoned the mindset of, of an entire country for a, for a, for a long, long while. Um, against that is a very sort of, you know, um, emboldened opposition and, and a, a populace that's, you know, civil society organizations, university students, but also secular elites and people who just think this can go away, but it needs time. It needs time that this, this man needs to be removed and his vestiges of abuse of power and rule of law need to be made an example of. They need to be prosecuted. They need to be shown that what they did was un- inexcusable and punishable under law, and they need to go to jail, right? Unless people see this sort of stuff, then we're basically going to whitewash this and condone that the, what they did over the last 20 years was acceptable. And we don't, you know, the Turks shouldn't give that message. Um, is it recoverable? I think only in time. You know, some things you can, like if Turkey, you know, was to be put, steer the country back onto economic orthodoxy, sure, you can see the, you know, the benefits of that within 12 months, the 24 months. You know, the Greek economy was recovered by a lot of intervention, but a lot of austerity and prudence, which was painful, but they, you know, they steered back. Um, it's what you do with the the social fabric of the country, which I think is, you know, you can't just knock things down and expect them to be rebuilt in the, in the shadow of Ataturk and the secular sort of non-Islamist um, uh, state that the country was essentially built as. It's going to take time. And for that, we need a reinstitutionalization of the country, which is governed by, you know, consensus. It's governed by, you know, a broad decentralization of power such that um, it's not just the 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 um, uh, the playground of one authoritarian brute. So his removal from power certainly has to be the first step. Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, without yeah. that, nothing happens. Yeah, exactly. And John, you you had made an, an excellent point, and I wasn't aware of this that the administration was actually encouraging Erdogan to. Oh, yeah. this policy that's incredible oh, yeah you have to look back at the obama era it's truly remarkable i mean there was a time where erdogan and obama were speaking more than i think uh obama spoke to any other leader um and this was kind of at the height of the arab spring as he's essentially proposing that the brotherhood is a uh legitimate actor uh one that uh could potentially bring stability to the region um and and that relationship endured for i i want to say you know probably two years i think it all came to a crashing halt sinan and correct me if i'm wrong but it it, it all kind of came to a crashing halt after protests came uh to turkey right after erdogan's out there supporting all kinds of protests against other governments then uh, protests come to Turkey. It's that Gezi, that famous Gezi Park protest, um, at which point he cracks down with utter brutality. Um, and he looks just like a lot of these other brutal Arab countries that he's been trying to overthrow. And it's at that point that I think the Obama administration says, yeah, maybe we made a mistake here. Maybe we were back in the wrong horse. Uh, and so they back away from him. But for, I want to say, a good two or three years um, this was a bromance between uh, Erdogan and, and Obama, and it really, really bothered uh, the likes of uh, the Saudis, the Emiratis, the Bahrainis, the Egyptians. This did not sit well with kind of the 
royalist camp, the pragmatic Arab states, they really uh, chafed at this. And I got to say, they weren't wrong. Not that any of them are, are uh, you know, angels here, but they, uh, you know, I think ultimately they have been uh, preserving the U.S.-led order in the region, and they saw the dangers of Erdogan's plan to supplant many of these states with Islamist governments. It's amazing, you know, that that lesson wasn't learned, that, you know, how we encouraged the deteriorating relationship throughout the Middle East or the deterioration of of relationships throughout the Middle East. And then I'm going to go, of course, because I can't avoid Afghanistan when I have these discussions. And yet we continued to search for moderate, moderate Islamists within the Taliban. Right. The, the lesson should have been should have been learned from Turkey, from the Arab Spring, which really was the Arab winter, uh, that they weren't there. And it, but yet we pursued even a decade after that failure should have been recognized. We can sit, continue to try to find moderates within Islamists. It's always backfired on us. Uh, sure, you could find, you know, go ahead. Sina. I was just going to say, um, Obama talks about this. He sort of regrets this in his biography and dedicates about four or five pages to just how he, his mouth, his tongue was burned. Um, not that it really changes anything. Um, but you would have, with all lessons learned, we, we covered this at, at FTD just a few weeks ago, right? Even now, the Turks launched a, 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 a drone attack recently into, uh, into uh, northern Iraq and almost killed um, not only the leader of the SDF, Maslam Abdi, right? But also the strike, the strike could have also killed senior U.S. servicemen uh, that was riding along with him, right? And the Pentagon's response has been tepid, basically saying, we're not sure who did this. But I was like, what will it take? Is it going to take the, the assassination of a one-star U.S. general for us to finally understand that we should not be humoring this guy, right? That, that, that he is, you know, simply problematic, and I think to, you know, and the, the one problem that sort of hamstrings them is this sweetener that Turkey puts on, on you know, that Erdogan puts on, 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 on what he does, which is you, if you burn me and if you just cut ties and you, if you really learn your lessons, then I might just really stop cooperating in any meaningful sense in places like Ukraine um, and, and, and even all the half-assed measures that I do against, you know, containing the Russians. And I think that's what's really sort of keeping things like the Biden administration, but even the Trump administration to sort of continue to work with Turkey, right? Because it's just seen as a, as a sweetener enough. So that's, that's, that's just should be bear that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. We just, we never seem to want to hold individuals like him to account. Turkey and counterterrorism, my opinion, Turkey has been hot and cold on this issue and mostly cold. Um, Turkey's relationships with groups like Hayat Tahir al-Sham, which is the successor to Jabhat al-Nusra, the Nusra Front, which is an al-Qaeda-linked group. Obviously, there's some you know, distance put between the two groups, but uh, still is not a good actor. Um, John, back in 2014, you identified this problem of Turkey's uh, willingness to work with terrorist groups. You wrote a paper uh, called Border, Bordering on Terrorists, Terrorism. I'm sorry. And um, you've been attacked by the Turks for your analysis. Uh, they've made some pretty interesting accusations against you publicly. 
Uh, can you talk about this a little, John? I've always found this. Uh, you wrote an article about this five years ago. Um, frankly, it still makes me laugh. Um, makes me question you a little bit. Uh, I got to admit, maybe maybe the Turks have gotten in my head. But tell us what the Turks have done to you, what they've said about you just for having the temerity to identify what they were doing when playing footsies with terrorist organizations. <laughs> sure. Um, look, just to, to recap, though, I mean, you know, we've as a as an organization dedicated to uh, uh, let's just say wise counterterrorism policies um, and broader, you know, uh, kind of pro-American policy in, in the Middle East and beyond. Um, you know, we called out Turkey's involvement with Hamas. We called out Turkey's involvement with ISIS. We called out Turkey's involvement with the uh, Islamic Republic and and its its smuggling uh, scheme, that twenty billion dollars smuggling scheme. And we were involved actually in a Department of Justice case against the primary actors involved in that scheme. Um, we've called out the Turks on S four hundred. Um, you know, uh, even some of its leanings towards China, the flirtation with the Shanghai Cooperation Council, the human rights problems. I, I mean, there's been a litany of of challenges. And so when when you get out in front of that in a town that typically is friendly to Turkey, right? I mean, D.C. is kind of geared toward um, the preservation of Turkey as a NATO ally. Um, they they have kind of protection from the military, I think, primarily because of the Indralik Air Base, which is crucial to or has been crucial to American operations. And there's even reported to house nuclear weapons there, um, right, to deter uh, the Russians. And so here you have this actor that's gone wild and you've got this relatively small think tank hammering them. And so they fire back. Um, right. They, this is a government that does, did, has not appreciated the criticism that we've leveled. And so it actually, you know, first it, it starts with accusations, uh, that we were part of the, uh, the coup plot, um, against, uh, the Erdogan government back in 2016. Uh, from there, you know, as the story about gas for gold grows and arrests are made and so you're not a member of a sex cult. That's true. That, that you're aware of. Yeah. Okay. But that, that, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, John, right. um, that I will admit are, to. Yeah. Um, are, but, but how about, how about the, uh, are you a, a friend of a cult leader? And well, that, have, this is the cult, you right? Shared uh, state, state leaders with state secrets with you. Yeah, this guy, his name's Adnan Oktar. He was arrested, I don't know, five, oh, six God. years ago. Crazy guy that had like a news channel with these incredibly tall, um, sort of um, attractive women. Um, and apparently after every news broadcast, they'd go back and do whatever sex cults do. Um, and um, I, I was in touch with one of the anchors via Twitter I don't know, 10 years ago, and they found that out and decided to um, paint me with the same brush. It all goes um, back to Twitter. Yes. They yeah, yeah it, it, it really that it is the cesspool of uh, of humanity. But at any rate, you know, th there was the accusations of being a coup plotter, being a sex cult member, being an agent of the Mossad, being an agent of the CIA. Um, and and, you know, just overall, I I found my name in the Turkish media more times than I care to admit. Um, never, ever in a positive light. I, I've actually been told not to travel through um, the airport in Istanbul, that uh, I could be pulled 
um, you know, pulled aside for questioning. That's something that I typically don't want to do. So, um, you know, I stayed away. Um, but we continue to think that it's important to shed a light on Turkey's problematic policies, regardless of how they respond to us. And it's, you know, getting back to, you know, kind of the original question of uh, of elections. This is one of the reasons why uh, these elections are so important right now is that for the last, you know, 20 years, Turkey has been under the iron grip of Erdogan. This sort of thing, the attacking of, uh, you know, an American NGO or even individual Americans like myself had become far too normal. We've even seen Turkish thugs beating up protesters outside of a think tank in Washington some years ago, right? I mean, they are taking liberties that they really should not be taking um, and putting the relationship with the United States at risk. So um, these elections are uh, indeed very consequential, and we've got to hope that this could be a turning point for uh, for Ankara. Sinan, have you experienced the same level of vitriol from the Turkish government? Another of our colleagues, Akyan Erdemir, was a fellow at FDD and one of our, our good friends. Boy, he's really taken it just as bad, if not worse, than John. Have you experienced this this type of of uh, attacks from the the Turkish government and the the pro Erdogan press? So, what John and Icon have experienced, I think, are somewhat unique in the sense that I have never seen the government go after the likes of John or Icon with any other sort of uh, critic. In Icon's case, they really sort of rolled out the red carpet by basically confiscating uh, his personal property inside of Turkey, which is just egregious uh, and, 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 a, and, a, and a, a gratuitous, I would say, um, a breach of, of, of the law. And at every instance, we basically highlighted this simply because Icon and throughout his work has been so instructive of all the misdoings of the government of Turkey. Um, and, and what John has experienced and what links them together is basically, this is what happens if you cross the line. Um, it's a, a campaign of delegitimization, dehumanization, and basically just trying to go after and intimidate sort of dissidents and critics. Uh, not just by doing it to John and, uh, and, and Icon, but serving, serving as more like a, um, a, a banner, a warning to other would-be critics, right? Saying, we'll come after you like we come after these if you cross the line with us. I'm glad that we're not intimidated by this. Um, and and uh, for my part, I, I, all I can say is, you know, they've called me a member of being a Gulenist, et cetera, et cetera. And I've kind of laughed this off because when I was a critic of the Islamists uh, earlier on, whether it was the Erdogan government, or even its predecessors in the 1990s, I was accused of being an Islamophobe. Now they're accusing me of being a Gulen member. I'm like, well, which is it? You know, you've got to have some sort of consistency here. Um, that's about as worse as I've gotten, um, but uh, nowhere in the sort of ballpark of what John and I have, I have experienced. And so, um, yes, I, I'm lucky so far. Yeah, well, that, that's good news. Yeah, this is a tough business. Uh, for, <clears throat> for those who are not, aren't aware, when you put your name out there publicly, you're open for attacks like this from individuals and from government um i've been i've had numerous threats from islamists including one or two based here in the united states thankfully um shabab killed one of them for me I, you know not normally do i tip nod my hat to a terrorist <laughs> organization but thanks guys um and and also from states uh, the long war journal has been banned in pakistan for over 12 years i've been told not to travel there and i've been called um this is always makes me laugh 
an agent of the CIA, of Mossad, of India's research and analyst wing, as well as the Taliban when I was creating the map of the Taliban uh, controlled and contested wow. in Afghanistan, amazing, as well as the ISI. So that's a quite a quite a range of groups there. And I'm just still waiting for that first paycheck. Um, so if you're out there, <laughs> if you guys are listening, you know, give me a ring. I'll get you my address. But until then, you know, I'm a free agent. Sinan, there's been a very interesting development as we were talking about the elections. Tell us what's going on. Uh, it looks like a candidate has dropped out. Right. So uh, the Turkish election right now is beginning to sort of look like increasing like a Brazilian soap opera with huge climaxes and unexpected developments at the, at the 11th hour, just before Turks in the mainland are about to go to the polls on Sunday. So what has happened is the third party candidate, which who was uh, the man by, by the name of Muharrem Ince, who was the the main opposition's presidential candidate against Erdogan in 2018 and lost miserably, right, has just pulled out of the race. That is, he's basically pulling out. Now, it's kind of important simply because uh, right now there were four candidates in Turkey running for president, right? And there were two sort of, you know, what we call third party candidates or a third party and a fourth party candidate who were split, who were thought to be splitting the vote, uh, which meant that, you know, in the first round of balloting, no candidate, either Erdogan or Kovicdorla, was going to get it over the 50% threshold, likely triggering a second round of voting. Um, now that uh, Mr. Uh, Inja has pulled out at the very final minute, uh, eyebrows have, be, have gone up suggesting now could Erdogan lose uh, in the first round, given the optimism, given the sort of momentum being experienced by the main opposition candidate, Mr. Kovicdorla's campaign. Uh, the answer, again, is we don't know, but um, this can't be coming as welcome news to the Erdogan camp, simply because, again, this is a huge momentum shift in the final hours of the race. I'll be on record saying I don't know if it makes any difference to the final outcome. Um, I, it, it's hard to say uh, what what, uh, what will happen. But the last credible poll that I consider came out today, suggesting without this information, without this recent development, that Mr. Erdogan could still lose in the first round. Uh, given the sort of the momentum that the opposition has picked up in the last week of the campaign. So we'll have to see. But it is a last minute development. So we'll watch this space. Sinan, John, thank you very much for joining Generation Jihad today. A fascinating conversation about Turkey and the complex landscape there. And thanks, everyone, for listening, uh, for joining us for today's episode of Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a positive one, but only if we earned it. Thanks again, and we'll see you all again soon.